If you've been with us uh, the last couple weeks, you know that we're in a series called Center. Did I put the ED on the end of that? Centered. And the point of this uh, series is that if anyone outside Wyzetta, you meet someone on the street, ask what Wyzetta is about, we can all say one thing. We're saying to say it now in unison, right? Because we got this. What is Wyzetta about? Community. All right. So we'll get to it. All right. <laughs> Little help here, okay? I see some of you just shouting out your favorites, okay? Wyzetta is about worship, community, and serving. Service. Doesn't matter. Let's uh, pray before we start. Heavenly Father, I just pray um, for a silent heart, a quiet heart, a still heart. I pray for clarity. I pray uh, for your words. And as we enter in, um, we just give the table to you. We give this time to you. It's in your name. Amen. So you did bring up uh, something I heard, a couple different answers, and we can just be honest up front and get this out of the way, okay? Worship, community, and serving are pillars here at YZN, that's what we've been talking about it. How many of you have a favorite out of those three? Everybody does, right? And that's no big deal. Some of you really enjoy Sunday morning worship. You come here, you're with Wyzetta. We are worshiping together corporately. That's an awesome thing. Some of you are all in on small groups. You love that community there. You love getting accountable and authentic with people. And then the best of you, like me, love serving, right? Because that is the closest to God's heart. We all know that. We have a favorite because our experiences and personalities are different. And that's okay, but it's just something to be aware of as we are trying to experience God more fully in our spiritual lives. Let me illustrate this by way of my beautiful family and the way we can communicate because we all have different communication styles. Thank God we all have different um, personalities and we all have different ways of expressing and receiving love, right? Our personal preferences, how we process. I'll start with myself. I am by nature an observer, okay? I get caught in my head thinking my things. I'm an introvert, which means that I get re-energized by being alone and getting lost with my thoughts and talking back and forth. Every personality test I have ever taken somewhere has this tagline in it. This type of person is very comfortable being his or her own best friend, okay? I can hang out with myself. I love myself, right? We go back and forth. How are you doing, George? You look great today, George. It's the perfect relationship, okay? It's true. Right now, I have a dialogue going on inside my head. Me and myself are talking about you right now. But don't worry, it's all good stuff. This can be frustrating for my wife, Terry, who has a perfectionist style. And that just means that she wants to get things right, which is great. I need a perfectionist style in my life. Many of you know that. Many of you are very thankful that I'm married to Terry. (laughs) Don't agree too enthusiastically. (laughs) I'm still talking about you. All right. Terry makes sure all the details are taken care of. Why I get stuck on the idea, I'm wandering out. Terry always brings it back around. She's the glue to our family. 
But this has led to some conflict when we get in the midst of our communication styles because Terry speaks in complete sentences, right? Whole thoughts. She likes to use all her words and some of mine, okay? When I'm communicating, I barely have enough words. It's grunts, sometimes it's groans, sometimes it's just a head nod, right? I don't use all my words and I kind of don't like it when other people use their words, okay? Silence is good. So when we get mixed up in our dialogue and communication, she's using all her words, and it seems like I'm lost, I'm out with myself, I'm not really paying attention, she'll stop and pause and say, George, you know what? doesn't seem like you're being a very good listener, okay? My response in the moment and lovingly is, you know what, Terry? It doesn't seem like you're being a very good summarizer. Yeah? (laughs) She knew I was going to say that. That's fine. We go back and forth like that. But that's our sinful nature, right? Then one of the voices in my head reminds me that being an active listener tells the other voices in my head, wait a minute. Being an active listener is a good relationship skill. And what I found out a few uh-huhs sprinkled along in the conversation is a black, it's better for both of us. For example, this is what I learned, okay? When Terry is going along, all I have to do is at some points, strategic points, say, uh-huh, yes, absolutely. Or I can say, really? Absolutely not. So that keeps the conversation moving. I can do my thing and still kind of pay attention and she can get all her words out, right? All right, she's laughing, so you know it's all right. Truth is, Terry is my glue. She's an idealist, she dreams big, and she's the reason why I believe. So Joseph is our peacemaker. He has a tender heart in all the best ways. He's a poet, he's a philosopher. He wants to know why we all can't get along. He asks probing questions like, Dad... Why is there evil in the world? Or, Dad, if we're up in heaven doing the same thing every day, won't it be boring? Or, Dad, why doesn't the church love everyone? My son doesn't want anyone to be left out. He thinks through scenarios. He thinks how to be inclusive. He's compassionate in ways that make me marvel. And he is going to change the world someday. Georgia. She is our adventurer. She wants something new to learn, to see, to experience. She's wicked smart. And she knows it. Her style is a keep up with me if you keep up with me if you can type of style. And sometimes that comes out a little bit snarky. I don't know how many times I have to apologize on behalf of her mom because of the snarkiness. Zero. <laughs> All right. All right. So we're at least honest, right? We're honest. All right. I have to explicitly say it, use my words, she gets her snarkiness from me. All right. One of my favorite um, quotes from Georgia was she was in an argument with one of her friends. They're going back and forth, and Georgia completely shut it down with this statement. She looked at her friend at the height of it, shut it all down. She said, You know what? Yeah, but your opinion is just an opinion. My opinion is a fact. 
right? That's like some C.S. Lewis rhetoric right there, yeah? Boom. The other thing is we have recently set up this chore system where they're doing chores and they're getting paid for chores and Georgia is figuring it out and she goes to the end, she cuts right to the chase and she comes to her mom and she says, you know what, mom? It doesn't really make any sense for me to be getting paid for these menial tasks, right? Instead of doing chores, why can't I get, just get paid the way dad gets paid? For being awesome, right? That's a quote out of her mouth. Keep dreaming the dream, baby girl. It's not easy to be this awesome, okay? All right? That's my job description right there. Spiritual formation. Just be awesome. Georgia is our dreamer. She's our painter. She's our musician. She's our pursuer of the transcendent. Whatever your style is this morning, I'm just going to ask you to pull it on hold for a couple moments. However you think the world should be ordered, everything put in its proper place, just suspend it for the next few minutes. Be open to being an observer, a perfectionist, an adventurer, a peacemaker, all mixed up in one. Because I'm going to use another question that my son asked as a template for this morning as we approach the table. My son asked the question, Dad, what if time and space aren't as separate as we think they are? That's some non-linear thought right there, yeah? That's some physics stuff. That's good. This moment. All the moments wrapped up into this moment. And so the question I'm posing this morning is, what if worship, community, and serving aren't the separate things that we think they are? Here's a spiritual implication of how our natural wiring impacts our relationship with God. We all have a favorite in the Trinity. That's a true thing. My favorite is the person of Jesus. But if we exclusively focus on our Father, God, the Creator, or Jesus, our Redeemer, or our Counselor, the Holy Spirit, our laser focus ends up short-changing who God is as a whole, and therefore short-changes how we view Him, how we have relationship with Him. When I ditch my preferred person in the Trinity and I ask God to reveal Himself to me three in one, it changes my prayer life. It changes my view on Him, my view of myself and what He wants for me. Certainly, God's love is holy. It's a holy love. But the triune God has opened the way for me to know Him. And so I come. At the end of this day, I may consider myself insignificant. I may be broken. I may be at the end of my rope. But I know that I'm deeply loved. Loved in a three-chord love. Jesus the Son has left the glory of heaven and come down, was born and died and rose again. God the Father gave his only Son so that I could live. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out in this earth and into my life and into my heart. I'm invited into the presence of God this way. And if I miss out on one of those, I'm missing out on a lot. It's the same with worship, community, and serving. Don't short-circuit your faith walk by overemphasizing one at the cost of the others. We should be worshiping in community, corporately. 
We should be inviting God into our midst in meaningful and intentional ways. And we should be in each other's lives just like we see how Jesus lived. When you look at Jesus' life, he spent more time with people at weddings and funerals and meals. He rejoiced with them in the good times. He mourned with them in the bad times. And he spent time doing life with them. That's important. That's Jesus. And we should be serving all together. It mattered that the West Metro saw us serving together as a church last spring. It matters that we're looking for innovative ways to serve the community. We're saying to the community, you don't feel comfortable in church. You don't feel comfortable coming through the doors of the institution for whatever baggage you have. But you have something on your heart that you want to have prayed for. Come and drive through our parking lot. Roll down your window and we will pray for you. Drive through prayer. We're reaching the community. We're adding value to the community that we're part of. That's who we are as YZ. We're doing it in the name of Jesus. We're building the reputation of the church. I want you to dial in and ask a couple questions with me. We're here this morning because we want to walk out of here differently than how we walked in. And some of that means that as a church, we're just going to wrestle with the implications of what it means to be a church that worships, to be a church that's in community, to be a church that is serving all the time, all at once. What happens if I solely focus on worship at the exclusion of the other two pillars? If worship is my favorite and I ignore community and serving, it becomes about the show. It becomes about the production I come in here on Sunday morning and I'm a consumer and it doesn't affect any other part of my life. We become more consumed with form rather than substance and we lose sight of the gospel. What happens if community is my only jam? Like I love community, but worship, no, serving, no, it's just community. You find your buddies, you do life together at the expense of looking outward. You become a social club, an affinity club. You become exclusive, never inviting anybody in, never multiplying. Sometimes an elitist club. You lose sight of the gospel. And what happens if you're like me and serving is your most important thing and that's your motivation and that's all you do? It lends rise to self-righteousness. And I will get easily offended if my cause is not the crusade for everybody else. You should be doing what I'm doing. My cause is the cause. Let's jump on board. That's not the gospel. I believe in our pillars. As a church, we want to go after three things. You got it by now, right? Worship, community, serving. Andrea asked this question two weeks ago about worship. It's the same question for community and serving as the heart of the three pillars. It's our answer to this question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to be a people that are hungry for growth, unsatisfied until we have more of him? So this morning, let's not think about worship and community and serving as separate categories. I know sometimes it's easier to break these things down and simplify the components. It allows us to explore, to understand what it means to be perpetually growing. What being a follower of Jesus really is all about. I get that, 
and it's useful, but this morning, let's put them together. Let's go to a deeper level because the tendency for me, when I get things in nice, neat compartments, components, categories, they become tasks, they become lists that I check off, right? Worship. I got worship, right? I'm here this morning. I'm preaching. Boom. Community. On my way in, I said hello to a dozen of you, half a dozen of you. I even asked how you're doing, right? Community. Serving. Are you kidding me? Done. I don't want to do that. Community, worship, serving are beautiful together. They're inseparable. Let's start with worship. Let's not make the mistake by assuming worship is something that we opt out of. Worship is something happening all the time. It's the only spiritual component where every human being, all of us, are doing it all the time. Just like breathing or having a pulse, we are worshiping all the time. We are proclaiming in one way or another what is most important to us. Sometimes we're worshiping cars or houses, the material. Sometimes we're worshiping our appearance. Sometimes we're worshiping other people's opinions of us. Sometimes we're worshiping what other people think. Our family, kids, choose whom you worship. That's a different message. This morning we're going to talk about worshiping God. Worship of God ushers us into the holy holies. It takes us up into God's holy, high, redemptive story. And communion is a special way to do that. And that's what we're going to be working toward this morning. We use liturgies to do that. There are no non-liturgical Christians. All I mean by that is that liturgy is the form we use as finite beings to relate to our infinite God. Music is one of the best vessels, one of the best forms, one of the best liturgies to take us to, those, to God and see him lifted on high. Is music worship? Is the liturgy worship? Is the form worship? No, it's not. The overarching theme of the scripture is this. God's desire to be with us. I don't want to confuse the form with the essence. Worship is the experience of the risen Lord in our midst. Worship is the reality of Emmanuel, which literally translates to God with us. That only works by giving yourself. God, I'm yours. As Christians, we want to redeem what the world has skewed. That everything we say and do and dwell on Be worship to God and bring glory to Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. That's worship. How does community, how does serving fit into this, God with us? Sociology is pretty interesting. You look at us today, we are more connected than ever before. We can tell each other exactly what we did last night. We can tell each other exactly what we're doing right now. We can tell each other exactly what we're thinking at any given moment. But what's the cultural trend? We're more isolated than ever before. We feel alone. So something has gone wrong with how we define community 
and how we define the function of relationship. We have a false meta-narrative that says we're connected and therefore we're in community together. But when you look at it, you look at the reality, it's individualistic. It's self-focused. It's all about me. That's the culture we live in. And sometimes that spills into our faith, our spirituality. Yes, your relationship with Jesus Christ is personal. It should be. That's the most beautiful thing about our faith that distinguishes it from every other philosophy, religion, and worldview. You can have a personal relationship with the divine. It's beautiful. But it was never meant to be done in isolation. Isolation, this private direct line to the throne room where Jesus is telling you all the right things, your cause is the best cause, George. Done in isolation, it robs community. We are meant to be encouraged, to be honest, to be accountable, and share our relationship with Jesus Christ in community. Community will never work if you don't give yourself first. Kerika said last week this about community. The price becomes our privilege. There is a price to community. It's service, and it's a form of worship. But the gain, it changes you. It's worth every penny. God shows up there. Emmanuel, God with us. Lastly, serving. Serving changes my motivation. It changes me. How does serving affect my heart? Because it's a lot of outward, tangible actions. But before all that, in the midst of all that, I am praying God be with me. I'm praying Emmanuel. Here's the disconnect that will happen if I'm not constantly seeking God asking him what is his will, and I go out and serve. I can serve the poor. I can help the needy. I can go down to my school and volunteer, and I can do it within my own power. That is possible, and I do do that. What happens when I do that? I start to feel tread upon. I start to feel, why aren't they giving me credit? Why aren't they naming that building after me? Why aren't they doing all this thing? Can't they see how awesome I am? I'm getting paid for being awesome. Come on. I start to turn inward. And I start to be not grateful. And I start to pick whom I'll serve. My tendency is I like to pick how I serve and whom I serve. I like to pick things where I can go one in and one out. Not in relationship. And I like to pick people who I serve that look a lot like me because you know what? It's a lot easier to serve people that have the same personality, that have the same whatever. But what I find when I pray, Emmanuel, God with me, Jesus shows up and he says, George, you do not get to pick whom you'll serve, how you'll serve. I do. And it's always a wrestle. We go back and forth. But when I'm obedient, when I do it, when I listen to the nudgings, to the urgings of the Holy Spirit, Jesus always shows up. And I found every time that the gift is in the giving of myself. Because Jesus shows up and I get to see other people with his eyes, through his eyes, mercy and compassion. In this last year, God has brought someone into my life whom probably I would not have chosen to walk with in community or serve alongside. Why? 
because I'm small-minded, small-visioned George. But God is a good gift giver. He cares more about me when I allow myself to be in his plan. Dialoguing, giving to myself, even in small sermon ways, I've gotten way more back. I got a friend, a surprise, someone who I can serve with and be in community with and be authentic and real with, someone that I know has my back. That's a gift. I've gotten to see more of me. God has revealed more of me and made the adventure that much bigger this year. Do you know what I've learned? I've learned that God has bigger and better dreams for me than I do. He has dreams that I didn't even know could exist for me. And all I have to do is say yes. The gift is in the giving. That's where God shows up. The overarching theme of Scripture is this. God's desire to be with us. Our goal for all this. Worship, community, and serving in intimacy with God. We want to know God more. Emmanuel. I'm going to read from Matthew 120. Down to 23. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is our triune God, Emmanuel, God with us. This was unexpected. It was revealed in the Old Testament in books like Chronicles and Isaiah and the Psalms. But most did not recognize the significance of this revelation. Most did not recognize the Son of God. Those that took this prophecy seriously in Isaiah 7.14, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, didn't take it to mean that a real virgin would be conceived by the Holy Spirit and give birth to Messiah. That's not what they were thinking. They were thinking, yes, Messiah, of course, but more like King David and certainly through human means. A king that would come and conquer their enemies, just like David, not conceive the Holy Spirit in a virgin. But you know the most beautiful thing? Emmanuel, what nobody saw coming? Nobody saw coming that Emmanuel literally meant God would become flesh and dwell among us, as stated in John. In John 1 through 18. Nobody expected God in flesh to show up. And I love it because I can see Jesus. I can see God. The Sermon on the Mount. I can hear his teaching that comes alive for me. When he is in the upper room and he's talking to the disciples hours before he's crucified and he's talking about love and unity... I can see his heart. It's beautiful. Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to transition in a couple of minutes to communion. And I want to start preparing our hearts in the context of worship, serving, and community, the pillars of a church. 
the heart of Emmanuel. How are others in the West Metro going to see Jesus? They're going to see Jesus if we are living like we're all in all the time. And this is how we do it. Communion is something very special. It's an ordinance. Why? Why does Jesus tell us to do it? It's not optional. It's a decree. Is it necessary for salvation? Is that what we're talking about? No. If we talk like that, it robs us of the beauty of it. Why does Jesus tell us to do it? It's what Kerika said last week. Because we naturally do not drift into holiness. Communion is a time for us to refocus. Left on our own, we generally become inward focused. Communion is a time of remembrance, of saying that we love you, God. We do it corporately. We do it together. There is power when we pray as a church together, 500 voices combined into one voice in chorus, singing, weeping, rejoicing, longing for Emmanuel. So as we close out, let's start to prepare our hearts to pray Emmanuel with 499 of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's focus on the table. I do want to say one last thing about serving and Emmanuel. I've learned a lot from Mother Teresa. She knew the secret of Emmanuel in serving others, and she's inspired me in a lot of ways. Her service, yes, but also her honesty about her brokenness in serving and about her view of Emmanuel, the divine, when she served. She taught me that true service comes out of a relationship with Emmanuel deep inside, and we serve out of whispered promptings, divine urgings. Yes, service requires highly sensitive ears and eyes, And true servants of God are able to hear his divine whisper and see in the eyes of those they serve the eyes of Jesus. What I've learned from her is that our life is to be a divine work of art. Because God has been lovingly and knowingly crafting us since before we were born. Our history, our character, our personality, our experiences, our interests, our gifts, all move Emerge into this beautiful human who is uniquely equipped to serve God, be in community, and worship God. The first lesson that we learn as we step into this is not a one-time lesson. It's a lesson we learn over and over again. The gift is in the giving. Give yourself What's the secret of Mother Teresa's ministry? And I believe it's simple, it's beautiful, and it's moving. And I'm going to use her own words to describe it. This is what she says. I see God in every human being. When I wash the leper's wounds, I feel I'm nursing the Lord himself. Is it not a beautiful experience? I'll never forget the first time that I locked eyes with Jesus. My family and I were overseas in Mongolia for a bit. It was a couple years into our ministry, and even then, I fully didn't get Emmanuel, God with me. I had a wrestle between my head and my heart. The two were at odds. Yes, surely Messiah, but by human means, like Daniel, not Emmanuel, not God here with us.
I locked eyes with Jesus when Terry and I were sitting around the table with the Mongolian family. They had tragically lost their son the week before, and Terry and I were serving the family, going over the mountain, getting the goat for dinner, bringing it back, stuff like that. But I have to be honest. I was serving out of Christian duty. My motivation was self-righteousness. I was there because I had to be there. And all I wanted to do in my heart was run. I wanted to be on my own. The last thing I wanted was to be face-to-face with a mother who had just lost her child. I didn't want to take that on. I was resenting the whole situation. And I ended up resenting the family. Obviously, it's more complex than that. But I think that's as close to my heart at the time. I'll never forget sitting across the table from the mother at dinner. And we locked eyes. And with tears running down her face, she smiled at me. And I heard a whisper. The whisper. And I was terrified. My heart was racing. I wanted to look away because all at once I was face to face with my own brokenness. And I was ashamed. I saw how beautiful, how good, how terrible all at once my Savior was in one moment. And my sin of self-pity, my sin of self-righteousness, my sin of being so focused on me, not just at this moment, but my whole life, just swept in and I was ashamed. And I wanted to cry out, Lord, go away from me, because I am a sinful man. At the same time, I was afraid. There was another fear all mixed up with it in this moment, too. I was afraid of giving my whole self face-to-face with Jesus. He always asked one question. George, do you love me? If I say yes, what happens to me? I lose myself. I was afraid. But I held longer, silent, still processing, mixed emotions, all this happening at once. And in the silence, I heard the clear whisper. I heard, I love you, George. What you've done for her, you've done for me. I locked eyes with Jesus and I saw him. And it changed me forever. It tuned my ears, it changed my prayer. God, be with me, I want you. I want to know you, I want your heart. Show me. Show me how to see Show me how to be Emmanuel. And that was the greatest gift of all. The gift was in the giving. When I heard, I love you, I just said yes. I gave myself. Yes. Jesus shows up in serving community and worship. And every time, I weep. But my tears are really singing. Because I know his love. And every time now, I say yes. My tears are tears of gratitude, of a brief, small glimpse of eternity, and my Savior's love, of Emmanuel. Yes, there may be big tentpole moments. Maybe what I shared was one of them in my spiritual life, but I think it's more than that. I think it's more of what my son was wondering. If time and space are not as separate as they seem, and maybe instead of going through a routine or doing things out of habit, maybe this moment matters right now. All the little moments added up to one moment and a million thousand moments at once. 
I've seen Jesus in a hundred different little moments since that night in Mongolia. Locked eyes. And it's been all the little moments wrapped up into one eternal moment where I meet Jesus. Because his voice comes in deep impressions. But my life is about worship, community, and serving. His voice comes in whispers.